Santa Chihuahua. Okay, okay, look guys, the book of life, it holds everyone's story, but the pages on Manolo's life, the blank. <sighs> you didn't live the life that was written for you. You are writing your own story. That's good. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your very much work in progress host, Harv, and of course, I hope you're having a bloody fantastic day. It's a bit cold where I am, but it is a pretty special day. I'm hopped up on coffee and feeling pretty damn good about it. Today, I want to talk about some stories that we really connect with as humans and we get defensive about if they're ever challenged. And yet, if you really do look into it, um, they're pretty damn dubious. And my intention in doing this is not to debunk the stories that people hold dear, but more to talk about the reasons that we, uh, that we actually get attached to these stories in the first place, and uh, perhaps to investigate whether or not it's even important that these stories are true if we choose them as philosophies to live by. So bear with me, because I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. Um, in fact, I think at the end you'll see that the overall message is positive, despite the fact that some of the stories that you believe in are utter bullshit. This next series of photographs are the work of Japanese researcher Mr. Masuru Emoto from his book, The Message from Water. Mr. Emoto's work provides factual evidence that human vibrational energy, thoughts, words, ideas, and music affect the molecular structure of water. Please remember that water comprises over 70% of a mature human body and covers the same amount on our planet. Water is the very source of all life. Mr. Omoto decided to see how thoughts and words affected the formation of untreated distilled water crystals by typing words onto paper and then taping this paper onto glass bottles overnight. And here we can compare the effects of thank you with the you make me sick, I will kill you. Very, very different geometric forms being incurred through the intention. Now this photo is of a very polluted and toxic water from the Fujiwara Dam. Here now is the same water from the Fujiwara Dam after a Buddhist monk had offered a prayer over it. Prayer, that sound coupled with intention, seems to have an extraordinary ability of restoring water to its natural, harmonious, geometric symmetry. So possibly you've heard of these uh, Emoto water experiments. They are quite a popular topic on YouTube and social media. Um, I've seen them pop up a lot of times on various feeds that I've got subscribed to. And it's quite a beautiful way to think about the world. And it seems to be evidence 
that our intention, our thoughts and emotions actually affect the physical world. Now, you might be thinking, well, you know, come on, Harvey, uh, this is something that your podcast is basically all about. So uh, why would you even spend any time debunking this or criticizing the the science of it? And you might be right. Um, I I am predisposed to believing in it, no doubt about that. And uh, I still, even without this scientific evidence, uh, I'm still I'm still believe that the you know at the power of our intention does affect the real world. Um, I'm just a little bit more you know practical and materialistic about it, and maybe that's something that I need to get away from. And I'm certainly open to that idea. But I think there's also a certain power to uh, relating uh, beliefs that you have that might be a little bit esoteric back to the natural world. If you can do it and you can find basis for it in reality then isn't that a more powerful idea since reality is where we live than believing in something that you can't prove or understand? And yes, I do understand that there's a lot of doubt about what reality is and we only see, you know, like a a tiny portion of visible light and there's all this stuff that's beyond what we can perceive. And yes, I know there's all sorts of demons and weird shit waiting in the shadows where we can't see. But come on, we were given these tools with which to perceive the world, and that is the reality we live in. The other stuff are just ideas, and they're powerful ideas, and and they're beautiful ideas, but they're not things that we can practically use in our real life. And if we can relate them back to things that we actually practically use within the experience that we're having of the world, then they're more powerful. So I think this process of relating things to real experiences that we can have is important. And that's why when I look at these Emoto water experiments, I kind of need to know, are they true? Does that really happen? Could I reproduce these experiments? And it turns out, uh, maybe not. This is Emoto Masaru, or to use his full professional scientific name, Masaru Emoto. He has earned himself a reputation over a famous experiment showing how water reacts to subjective thoughts. The claim that human thought directly affects water is, to date, nothing more than a lot of woeful assertions, bad experiments, and data that has been cherry-picked to look good. Emoto was never a scientist, nor did he ever claim to be. Only a soft scientist, as he put it. Although the pictures are beautiful, the question remains, is it science? This is not science. Oh, right. Yeah, they so say. they see actually your research for the water, they don't see it as real science. Mm-hmm. Because, what do you think about that? Yes, How do you feel um, about that? Yes, because uh, as long as science needs a double-blind system, uh, no new science appeared. Right. Emoto became a doctor of alternative medicine at the Open International University for Alternative Medicine in India in 1992. This uh, university accepts money for a one or two month course followed by handing in a final essay. Even so, did he not produce a double blind experiment showing that when people concentrate on water whilst thinking different thoughts, the water would crystallise into shapes that were independently judged to be either beautiful or ugly, depending on the word. If this study is valid work, it should stand up to scrutiny on its own merits. However, it doesn't, and here's why. The double blinding in our study seems to have been badly carried out. 
When a triple blind experiment was done to repeat the test, it showed even less of a significant outcome and acknowledged the difficulties of properly controlling the experiment. It also says that they think they have shown that intention affects water, but this is misleading. Without adequate controls, it is very easy to allow accidental contamination of the water, leading to samples of crystals being affected either a batch at a time or individually. As Stanford University Professor Emeritus William Tiller pointed out, it is extremely easy to manipulate the crystalline structure of water, especially by adding contaminants or tinkering with the cooling rate of the water. In Dr Tiller's words, in Dr Amoto's experiment, supercooling was neither controlled nor measured, a necessary requirement to be fulfilled if one wanted to prove that it was a new factor of specific human intention that was causative. He published one photo per test one that happened to conform to his agenda. He claimed to have 100 photos for each test. Therefore, he left out many others that might have gone against his idea. According to the morphology diagram of ice crystal formation, column crystals should be formed instead of plate crystals, yet none of Emoto's pictures show a column crystal. Could Emoto have fabricated his findings? Let's put it this way, he has no convincing data to back his claims. Right, so um, is Emoto like some kind of charlatan? Actually, probably not. To me, Emoto seems like a very nice, well-intentioned man who, um, despite his science not quite backing up what he wanted to believe, went ahead anyway and made the bold statement that he wanted to make. It's not a bad statement. If people want to believe that their conscious intention affects the world then won't they act as better people? Well, sure they will. Sure they will. If they understand that everything that they do affects others, then they'll be more cautious about how they act. And that's a good thing. So why pick on a moto if he's not doing any harm and he's spreading positive messages? What about like a package of cigarettes? We have these words like smoking kills. <sighs> This is so bad, you know? It's, uh, I think, uh, designed for uh, killing people. Not from spirit, but what itself has the energy of killing people. Smoking is uh, bad for our health, you know? But I don't think so. Main cause uh, from, uh, to be sick, this these words uh, make me sick. So uh, it would be better actually that to put another word on the packages. Yes, like, yes, love yes. Thyself. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, right. Yes, we should put love thyself on packets of cigarettes. That completely makes sense. But fuck it, I still want to believe in this idea. Can't we just find a way to verify the experiments that were done? Even if they were flawed, that doesn't mean that the idea is not true. It just means that the experiments didn't prove it correctly. The problem is, though, that Moto was using equipment that, you know, the average person doesn't have. Uh, we, we can't replicate his experiments. We're not scientists. We don't have electron microscopes or whatever the fuck he used to photograph his crystals. So how are we going to prove this? You know, what can we possibly do to keep this idea alive? Well, luckily, the internet came up with a solution and it's called the Rice Experiment. The Rice Experiment I'm about to try 
it's not a very scientific approach, obviously, and it doesn't really prove anything, but it's a very interesting experiment nonetheless. And it seems to be working every single time. Since rice absorbs water when you cook it, you can basically conduct the same research Dr. Masaru did. I approached the experiment by purchasing three brand new glass containers. I cooked some rice and added the exact same amount of rice in each container. And every day for about two months, I'd spend 60 seconds per container telling them either negative or positive things. The container marked love. I'd say nice things such as you're awesome and I love you. And to the container marked hate, I'd say horrible things such as you don't deserve to live and you make me sick and go and kill yourself. And the container marked ignore, I do just that. All right, so the container marked with love is it's in quite good shape. It's a little it's a little yellow, but I'd probably eat it. All right. And the container marked hate is it's in bad shape, all right? This is quite disgusting. There's no way I would even touch this. The container marked ignore is, it's in better shape than the container marked hate, but it's still quite disgusting. It's now, you might think that there's room for coincidence, but this works every time. If you wanna try it yourself and narrow down your odds, try using 25 containers or even 50 containers. This works and it shows that our thoughts literally shapes our life. It all starts in your mind. And boom, yes, we finally rekindled this idea uh, and proven it once and for all. And look, there are hundreds of videos on YouTube proving this over and over again. So um, you can just go ahead and believe in all of the intention stuff that Emoto spoke about. Thank God for that, right? Whew, I was pretty worried there actually for a minute. I, I, I thought debunking Emoto's experiments was going to make it impossible to believe that my thoughts were creating my reality. Like literally creating my reality. Because that just makes sense. And, you know, it's not like if I did this experiment, uh, I would get different results. I mean, admittedly, I am too lazy to do it. It does take 90 days. That's that's a fairly long time investment. I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to trust the YouTube channels that tell me. Because let's face it, it's not like, you know, a video where the experiment fails will get less likes and views than a video where it shows success, is it? Um, even if you had to do it a couple of times. I mean, you... You know, it's not like you would be biased towards a particular outcome. No, sir. I mean, biased towards, you know, views and popularity. I mean, that's impossible, isn't it? So, so you, you know, and even if you were biased, let's say you were like a teeny bit biased, like you wanted it to succeed because it would get more views. Even if that was the case, that doesn't mean you tainted the experiment. The, the experiment is the experiment, right? I mean, those 
jars are airtight and, and bacteria is evenly distributed throughout the the air. And, and you know, yelling at, at, at a particular jar does not produce more spittle and germs from your mouth towards a particular jar than, than the other ones. And plus, even if that was the case, the ignored one should have nothing happen to it, right? I mean, even if, you know... It, the, the conditions of the experiment aren't sterile to start with, and they can't be. But you know, um, it's. Yeah, I mean, these things aren't done in a lab. But but even if they were, wouldn't they just prove the same thing? And even if they don't, like when it fails, you know, the the proof is there too because uh, the, the, it's probably that the person doing the experiment didn't want it to succeed, and their intention was manifest by the experiment failing. Around four months ago. Grant Thompson released a video demonstrating how rice changes colour depending on the language and emotions used around it. This idea has already been thoroughly debunked, but I couldn't find anyone who directly addressed Grant's video, in particular, the low sample size of his experiment. Usually, I'd rely on the burden of proof being on Grant. However, from the comments, it seemed like a large proportion of his audience wasn't questioning the video. So I decided to recreate Grant's experiment with a larger sample size and consistent conditions for all jars. After around four months, there are a few distinct types of moulds and bacteria visible on the rice. When looking at the results, we can see the jars that were subjected to positive language and emotions actually had more visible mould than the other two sets of jars. However, this is still well within the margin of error that I'd expect with such few samples. To demonstrate why a large sample size is important, I'll remove all but one of each type of jar. This gives a completely different result to what we get with a larger sample size. I got a few comments suggesting that I might have placed the jars too close together, or that I paid too much attention to the jars that were supposed to be ignored, which is a possibility, but so is the possibility that an invisible miniature bright pink unicorn was influencing the results. You know what? Fuck you, you party pooper. I'm, I'm done with you. I'm not even going to watch your videos anymore. Obviously, it was your negative attitude and smarmy perspective that caused the experiment to fail. Would have, would have succeeded if I'd done it. And uh, I don't give a shit about your lame-ass opinion. So say the comments of that video, give or take. Um, so, you know, what we're looking at here is something that we talked about last week, which is cognitive dissonance. People want to believe in an idea. They invest in it because of the beauty of it and the, uh, you know, the love and harmony that'll be spread by it. And when it's challenged, they're unwilling to let go. And I completely understand that. I'd want it to be true too. Um, but and unfortunately, the burden of proof has not been established with the rice experiment any more than it has with Emoto's water crystals. It doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that the science has not yet backed it up. So if you believe it and you're getting mad at me for ridiculing it, um, I'm sorry. I really am. I, I don't mean to. And I'm not ridiculing it at all. I, I think it's a lovely idea. And I think there is a certain uh, fundamental truth to the concept behind it. But don't use science to back it up. Just say it's something you believe. There's nothing wrong with just believing something. Um, you know, all of religion is is based around faith. But it seems like if you don't buy into a particular religion, all of a sudden faith becomes a dirty word. It doesn't need to be, right? It really doesn't. We can have faith in stuff, even if we don't have religion. We can have faith in stuff that we decide for ourselves rather than some old book deciding for us. And that's okay. I have faith that the things that I do, the words that I express, 
the things that I put out on the internet have an effect on the world. Hell, I have more than faith in that. In a way, that's a necessary thing for me to do the things that I do. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't think that the words and ideas that I put out into the world would have an effect. So I'm not saying I don't have faith in these ideas and that I don't believe in anything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying let's just not pretend that there's science to back it up. It doesn't matter if there is. Let's not discredit ourselves by pretending something is true when it's not. And you've got to think about where this all goes to, uh, to be fair, I think. Last week I mentioned on the podcast that uh, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. Now, obviously I have a, a bias now, okay? So I acknowledge that. But um, if you have a look at this intention stuff, in some areas it's gone to a little bit of a dark place. Over eight years, the center has successfully treated more than 180 types of illnesses, including bladder cancer. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the sound of cancer having its ass thoroughly kicked by a couple of Chinese dudes. They brought us kung fu, they brought us jujitsu, and I'm pretty sure they invented video games. And now they're kicking the ass of cancer. Is there anything they can't do is really the question we need answered. It probably doesn't make for the best uh, easy easy listening. Um, but for some reason, that exact noise kills cancer dead. Uh, so, you know, um, finally, you know, God, I mean, I really thought the cure for cancer uh, was going to be found, uh, you know, by a pharmaceutical company like, uh, you know, that awesome company Bayer that killed people with AIDS or maybe... Maybe Monsanto uh, would, would come up with something, you know. I mean, you know, they, they're in the business of giving life, aren't they, with, you know, creating seeds. Why not give life by curing cancer, you know? Come on, Monsanto, pick up your socks. doesn't matter, though, because cancer is cured in China. So that's, that's done. Tick that box. Don't know why we're not doing it in the West yet. Uh, we're always a bit behind the times. Probably the fucking FDA. You know, the Illuminati wants us all dead. So, um, of course, of course we don't have access to this magical, amazing treatment. Um, all you have to do is say a couple of phrases uh, chanted at someone's stomach and their cancer will just subside. And I'm not kidding. I know this doesn't translate very well to an audio podcast, but... In the, in the video footage for that, you're watching a monitor and they've got a picture of a cancerous growth in a sonogram image, I guess it is. I don't know. Medicine, obviously. Um, and then there's another one on the other side, which is the live picture. And you can actually see the cancerous growth 
shrink and disappear. It just, you know, collapses on itself, basically. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if that was true? Sue is a seamstress in Barcelona. She lives outside of the city and takes the train to work. She's married to her high school sweetheart, and they have three children. Recently, Sue has been having abdominal pains, bouts of nausea and vomiting, and so she went to her doctor. He ran a battery of tests, did an MRI, and she got that dreaded phone call. The diagnosis was cancer. Now, Sue knew that chemotherapy would likely not cure her, but it would most certainly make her feel miserable for months to come. I'd now like to take you to the future where Sue has the potential to be offered a therapy that uses sound energy rather than heat or incision or chemo to, to cure her. Ultrasound has been used many, many, for many years for imaging, but researchers have been trying ways to use ultrasound to create heat to destroy tissues non-invasively. Well, Charles Kane from the University of Michigan was taking a different path. He, he was using, wanted to use the, the sound energy to create mechanical forces, not heat, to destroy tissue. He and his colleagues at the University of Michigan, Michigan actually found that the mechanical forces of heat could have great benefit as compared to heat, or the mechanical forces, excuse me, of sound that could use to have great benefit. Those mechanical forces could actually be a lot more precise, and they have the potential for more rapid healing, quicker, quicker recovery, and less pain. So Charles and his colleagues, together with the university's technology transfer office, licensed that technology to a newly formed company called Histosonics. And Histosonics got to work developing a medical device that would be able to, to deliver histotripsy. And the most important component of that is the ultrasonic transducer. And the fundamental part of the ultrasonic transducer is the piezoelectric element. This, when, when electri electricity is applied to it, vibrates. And those vibrations then create an ultrasonic wave that can propagate through tissue. Now by arranging an array of these elements in a concave formation, the transducer then becomes capable of transmitting ultrasonic waves that then increase sharply in strength at the focus. By, by pulsing those waves, we create the histotripsy effect to destroy tissue at the cellular level. Now based on this principle, the Vortex RX is being developed to provide physicians the ability to non-invasively treat tissue. The transducer is placed over the, the target, in this case, a tumor in the liver. Sound energy passes through the body to those tissues, creating an energy field that creates bubbles then. And the expansion and collapse of those bubbles is what mechanically then fractionates those tissues. Yeah, she seems to have forgotten to mention the uh, flux capacitor there. Um, now, look, I'm not saying that this particular treatment is uh, a, sh a scam or anything like that. However, I am so exhausted by the fact that I feel like I need to worry about it. You know, people talk about getting the money out of politics. <laughs> Can we get the profit out of medicine? Because... I don't know where to look anymore when it comes to the medical establishment. This isn't the only example of things that seem to stem from this kind of pseudoscience of intention where uh, some money-making schemes pegged off the back of it, using people's hope and beliefs against them. And hey, if it does turn out to be like the best treatment for cancer ever invented, then it's a completely different story. 
the pseudoscience mumbo jumbo has suddenly informed a scientific idea that's led to fruition. That's how it works, folks. Story can be positive or negative, and you can never really know for sure which way it's going to go. But one thing I do know for sure is that anybody who's willing to sell their soul to make a crust like this, to make money, to bamboozle the medical establishment and uh, take advantage of people, they're a bunch of cunts. And, uh, you know, as someone who uh, has just recently gone through this process of thinking, you know what, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I know there's cancer cures that are being suppressed. I know that the Illuminati all wants us dead. And then being hit with my own mother and father, by the way, um, both being diagnosed with cancer within a few months of each other, I had to decide, am I going to push my beliefs that are completely unproven and uh, unscientific? In the end, I just decided do what the doctors tell you. And I know it's a completely uninspiring way to react. But if you've got cancer, inspiration's the last thing you're worried about. Cut it open, take it out. There's a good chance that'll work. As invasive as it is, as barbaric as it seems, as technologically unadvanced and unenlightened as it may be, get rid of it burn it, fry it. Hell, if, if the ultrasonic waves work, you know, hit it with a barrage of ultrasonic waves, whatever it is that we know works in some cases, that's what you're going to choose. It's a game of odds at the end of the day. And you just want to give the people that you love the best possible chance. I do give mum some black garlic. I did mention the vitamin K conspiracy to my mum. Is it vitamin K? I can't even remember. Maybe she'll Google it. Maybe it'll help. Um, but at least it'll be her making the choice. So I don't know. We've ended up in a bit of a weird place. I really didn't mean for it to go in this direction. Um, I guess sometimes that's going to happen uh, when you talk things through. Um, I uh, I wanted to talk about the the movie Coco and uh, the, the view of death that it has that, um, you know, there's this afterlife where you can continue to exist for a period of time and that you never suffer true death until there's not a single soul in the world who remembers you. Um, if you haven't seen Coco, go check it out. We'll probably get to that in the next podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you got anything out of this, uh, it's probably a miracle because this one went way off the rails. However, I'm not going to resist it. I'm just going to let it be. And hopefully you got something out of it. If not, bad luck. Bad luck next week. And uh, if you do come back, I'll see you then.